Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Do you know that God wants to partner with you? He wants to work and labor with you. What a privilege that is. And we're going to talk exactly about that privilege and how we can partner with God in today's wake up call. Good morning. This is your wake up call. Wake up call 085. Partner with God. It's another episode on the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm your host and I'm thankful for everyone that's watching and listening. I'm thankful that you're part of the faithful. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to see, and we're going to go a couple different places to establish this foundation, but I want you to see that God desires to partner with you and I. And, and let's be honest, what greater privilege can you and I have than to labor and work with the Lord? It almost sounds too good to be true. But honestly, that's the Lord's desire, and He makes it very plain throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says this, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. In those, this verse, you see three different examples that were God's fellow workers. We are God's field. We are God's building. I preached the message a few years back entitled, You Are God's Garden, borrowed it from Brother Kenneth Hagin. And, uh, and, and that's a good statement of uh, faith to understand that. We're like a garden. Our heart, our life is like soil that if it's tilled up by the work of the Holy Spirit and we receive the Word of God readily by faith, it's good seed sown into good ground. It brings about a harvest. And the reality is all of us are going to have a harvest, good or bad, just and it's up to us because we're the ones receiving the seed uh, in that type of ground. Jesus talked about how there's four different types of ground. Now, that's a message in itself. And, of course, you are God's building is another example of how we are all members and parts of a building, the house of God, really the place which God dwells on the earth. Of course, in the Old Testament, His presence, His anointing resided in a literal physical place, the tabernacle, then the temple. Now, of course... Men and women were anointed of by God to do tasks and ministries in the Old Testament. That's not for debate. I mean, that's clear through Scripture. But in the New Testament, uh, the building we gather in that we call church, that's simply a place that's convenient for us to come and gather. That's a place where we set it apart and we've made a decision. This is what we're going to use this building for is to the worship of God and to uh, disciple believers and, and to win the lost and, and to grow in the things of God. But the presence of God indwells the believer. 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 tell us that explicitly. Now, both of those aside, the first portion of this verse, I want you to see and get it in your heart and your mind. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, first portion of this verse, for we are God's fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers. The Lord has said through His Word, you, the believer, you're going to work with me. You're a co-worker with God. Now, obviously, we're not... God is God. 
right? He is our Lord. He is our master. We submit to him. We bow our knee. We confess him, Lord. So when I say co-worker, understand it's with all reverence. It's with all honor to God. But in the same light of Scripture, we see God has made us in his image. We bear his image. We bear his likeness. The, the nature that you and I now have as believers, it was a dead sin nature, Ephesians 2 tells us, but we've been given a new nature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're new creation, all the old has passed away, all things have become new. 2 Peter 1, 4 tells us we're now partakers of the divine nature of God. So we've been made alive and we've been brought into fellowship with God and he desires, it's his will, because his word is his will, it's his will that you and I would labor and work with him. Again, it sounds almost too good to be true. A laborer, a worker with God, but it is. That's God's desire. That's God's intention. And what's the beautiful thing about it is God empowers us to do his work in the earth. Think about it. God wants you and I to work with him. He gives us instructions and tasks to do, and we're going to talk about those. And then he empowers us with his power, with his anointing, with his might, with his joy, with his strength, with his peace, with his righteousness, with his love, with his word, with his spirit to do his work on his earth. You and I, we just have to be willing and available and like that old times song, you know, um, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes, I will listen and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart, I'll believe and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. <laughs> Didn't think I was going to be singing on the, today's episode, uh, but uh, I love that song. Love that song. I think it's a beautiful song of consecration, and and it should be more so a prayer that maybe we sing it at times. But it's a prayer, you know. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to listen. I will obey. When your Spirit speaks to me, I will say yes. That's my answer. Whatever you command me, I'll say yes, and that should be our desire. And that is our desire as the faithful, as those that are committed and sold out to Christ. We have one desire, to fulfill the will of God in the earth, in our lives, in our marriages, uh, in our families, on the job, at school, whatever age, circumstance, or area of life you find yourself. You have one desire, I have one desire, to do the will of God. So here's the question. That obviously is the desire. I know that's your desire. That's why you're here listening, watching, and you're part of the faithful. The more practical question we need to answer, I guess, would be how do we partner with God? Sure. Yeah, you're right, AJ. I want to partner with God. Absolutely. Sign me up. I'm on it. Let's do it. Let's work with God. Okay. So the question must be answered, how do we work with God? And though I doubt this is an exhaustive list, I doubt any list that 
you or I can come up with when it comes to the things of God, the wisdom of God, can ever be exhaustive. And let me tell you something. I've seen some commentators like Finest Jennings Stake of the Dake Annotated Reference Bible. He was a list maker. I mean, he can make a list. 47 reasons for this, 29 reasons for that. And it's like outstanding, amazing commentary and lists. Uh, but even his work, he would be the first to say it's not exhaustive. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't complete the list. So today I'm going to give you seven ways to partner with God and each have a corresponding scripture that I want you to see so you know it's not just my opinion. I'm not just you know, making something up here, throwing something against the wall, seeing if it sticks. No, there, these are seven different ways that you and I can practically partner and work with God. And of course, there's probably more, but if, you, if we do these seven tasks, if we work with the Lord in these seven areas of life, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to have a dynamic, fruitful miraculous walk with God. The first area I want you to see is this. And honestly, it's the first, uh, number one, number two, are usually number one and number two on every single list I ever make for Christian work, Christian life, Christian discipleship, for me, for you, for anyone. <laughs> and you probably can guess it. But the first one is prayer. We partner with God in prayer. Jesus, when he is answering the questions that the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray, he begins by saying this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's read the whole Lord's Prayer. Verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, what you can see here is there's really some different elements of this prayer. And my father, who's also my pastor, he put together this prayer outline some 30-some-odd years ago after listening to Dr. David Youngie Cho, who at that time was pastoring the world's largest church in Seoul, Korea. He heard him minister and teach on prayer, and then he began to study on prayer. And he used this outline that he had heard from Dr. Cho and put it together, and it's the outline he's prayed, and it's one I've begun to pray uh, at this point now for about six years. And it's based on what we call the Lord's Prayer, but probably is more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. And that's what Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 is, this prayer. And you can really use it as a structure. Verse 9 is begin to worship God. Praise and worship to God. Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Worthy is your name. And then you can go into the names of God and, and begin to express praise and adoration. Well, verse 10 is petition. But it's kingdom petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get into personal things. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us as we forgive others. Verse 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it ends with prayer. It ends with praise and worship. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. As uh, evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. would say, it's a praise sandwich. It starts with praise. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It ends with praise. Your kingdom, the kingdom, the glory, or excuse me, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So those two pieces of bread are praise. And in between it is other things that we would ask and petition the Lord for. So we start with praise, we end with praise. And we do petition things for ourselves. Give us, 
forgive us, lead us, deliver us. But before we get to those personal petitions for our life, and you can pray all those things for your family, for your loved ones, but before that is verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer. That's the petition. Before we pray anything personal, what it is, it's setting us up for verse 33 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now that's specifically talking about actual material possessions and provision that we have need of. And Jesus is saying, look, if the Lord can take care of birds, and if He can take care of the lilies of the valley, He can surely take care of you. Just put God first and His kingdom and His righteousness. Put it first, and then everything you have need of will be added to your life. And it's what I call the kingdom first rule. But that kingdom first rule operates in every area of your life. So before you and I begin to petition, and that word petition, if you're not familiar with it, it simply means to make a formal request. Before you and I will go before the Lord in prayer with a formal request based on the word of God, Lord, this is what your word says and I'm believing it's going to come to pass in my life. Before we get to that point, we should be about the Father's business first. Lord, your kingdom, your will. And, and you can pray that in your life. Lord, I want your will done in my life. Lord, lead me and direct me so that I would do what you would have me do today, this year, my life, for my marriage. I, for instance, my example, I'm married, so I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor. Okay, Lord, I want your will in my marriage. And then I can pray about that. And I want to be a, hus a father according to your word and your wisdom. I can pray about that. Then I'm a pastor, Lord, in my church and begin to pray the will of God into my church. And I can see the will of God clearly in all those areas of life from Scripture. That's why it's so important to study the Word because then you can pick up prayer promises that you petition the Lord for. But we begin to partner with God first in prayer. Lord, your kingdom. Now you might think, okay, look, look I've heard people say this. You might think, well, AJ, I hear what you're saying, and yeah, I know we should pray, but let's be honest. After all, God is sovereign, and if he wants to do it, he'll do it. If he wants to do it, it'll happen. Well, you know, if the Lord wants it, it'll come to pass. Mm, not according to Scripture. There are so many examples in Scripture that things happened and it was totally, completely against God's will. Sorry to bust your theological bubble. Every time someone commits sin, it's against God's will. The Lord flooded the earth during the days of Noah because man entered into sin to the point to where even his imagination was constantly evil. There are times in Scripture, like in the days of, uh, uh, of Jonah, when Jonah finally reluctantly goes to Nineveh and preaches the Word of God, Nineveh turns from their sins and repent. And God says, you know what? What I was going to do to Nineveh, I will no longer do. So his will, and his will didn't change in that situation, not that the will changed, but the outcome that he had planned to take place against Nineveh changed because the, those people repented. But there's many times in Scripture, but obviously Nineveh was out of the will of God to the point they were a nation in the Old Covenant that was not a covenant nation. But God loves all people, so He sends Jonah to tell them to repent before he, I just have to completely take you out. 
But there's many times. Jesus, at the end of his ministry uh, on this earth, close to going to the cross, he's looking out over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, I, so many times I desire to gather you up like a mother hen gathers up its chicks, but you would not let me. Jesus constantly was being berated and mocked and belittled and doubted by his very own kinspeople, the very nation he came to preach the gospel to first. To the, to the Jews first came the gospel, then the Gentiles. But Jesus wanted to, but they didn't receive it. You know, there's many things that take place in Scripture that are against God's will that we can see plainly because God in his sovereignty, in his power, has declared because he is all-powerful, so he gets to make the rules, he has said, you get a choice. And because you get a choice, you will either enjoy or suffer the consequence or blessing of your choice. And I'm going to let you choose. And you may choose something against my will, but it will bring destruction because God's will for us is life and abundant life, John 10.10. 10. Two examples of this, Isaiah 59, 16. The Lord saw that there was no... Let me start reading actually in this back half of verse 15. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him. There was no justice concerning the sin in Israel. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him and his righteousness has sustained him. Now this is referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. So the Lord is looking in Israel for an intercessor. He's looking for someone who will stand in the gap. That's what an intercessor does. It's when you and I begin to pray and petition the will of God for someone else on their behalf. And so the Lord's saying, is there no one that will stand in the gap for my nation and pray the will of God into this nation? Okay, I'll have to take care of things my own self, which brought judgment on Israel, and then it brought the Messiah, but hundreds of years later. There's another example of that in Ezekiel 22:30. This is the Spirit of the Lord speaking through Ezekiel, verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. There I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Same instance with the judgment of Israel and Judah. I'm looking for someone who would make a wall. How are you going to make a wall? Through prayer. How are you going to stand in the gap? Through prayer. First step to partnering with God is to pray the will of God in the earth. As we pray, God answers the prayers. When we pray the will of God, He answers the prayers. Bam! His will is being ministered in the earth in the area that we're praying. That's just how it works. And so I'm a firm believer that if we see things going crazy and are in, in the wrong direction, Somehow, some way, we're not praying like we should. Before I'm going to go point the finger at God and use big theological words and blame God, essentially blame God for what's going on in the earth, I'm going to say, Lord, where am I missing it? As an intercessor, as a prayer, as, as a prayer.
Second way that we can partner with God is the study of the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 tells us this. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Study to show yourselves therefore approved to God. Notice this. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in the study of, your, of the Word of God and reading your Bible and studying it and filling your heart and your mind with the Word of God, it's not just for your benefit so that you can know and have the knowledge of God, though it does benefit you and it increases your knowledge of God. It builds your faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It also puts you in a place to labor and work for and with God. Because anything the Lord needs you to do, He's going to need you to do it with His wisdom, His instruction, and His insight. And how are you going to get those things? Through the reading and the study of the Word of God. How are you going to tell someone when someone asks you a question and you want to give godly counsel? If someone comes to you for advice, and I pray that they would because people that are in the faithful, you're prayed up, you're studied up, you're ready to go. You're full of the fire of the Holy Spirit. They should come to you for advice. They should see your life and say, I want to be like them. I want to be a part of the faithful. I want to be like them. I want my life to look like their life. I'm going to ask their opinion on such and such. Well, you need to have a reservoir, a, a savings account, a, a large reserve of the Word of God stored up in your heart, in your memory, in your mind through constant study, constant reading, constant sitting and listening to teaching in church, well, these podcasts, other teachings that are available, so many great ministers and studies out there. You're constantly feeding on the Word of God so that when someone asks you for advice, hey, well, you know what? The Bible says this. I love, and sometimes people think I'm a broken record, but the only way I care to answer questions is this way. Well, AJ, what would you do or what do you think about this or what's your opinion? Well, the Bible says that's how, that's, the, that's how I care to answer every question. Now, there's some questions you're not going to answer that way, right? Uh, honey, what do you want to eat for supper tonight? Well, the Bible says, <laughs> you know, and then you rehearse that uh, recipe of bread that Ezekiel ate, and it's like barley. There's actually, you can actually go to most grocery stores and find Ezekiel bread. Uh, it's in the frozen section, and it doesn't taste like regular loaf bread. I've had it before. It's okay. Uh, you could use it as a self-defense weapon. It's pretty heavy. It's like 10-pound loaf of bread, but it's apparently good for you. And it's made according to the recipe in Ezekiel. But that's someone answered the question, how should, we do, how should we bake bread again? Well, the Bible says, and they were reading Ezekiel apparently. But that's how I want to answer questions. Well, the Bible says, and that comes through the study of the Word of God. The more you fill your heart and your mind with the Word of God, the more you put yourself in a place to partner and work with God. Well, by natural default of that, like if you're, if you're filling your heart and your mind with the Word of God, well then naturally what's going to happen is you're going to live by faith. And that's the third way that you can partner with God is living by faith. Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verse 4. The first time we see this phrase is here. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
the just shall live by faith. Well, there's three different times in the New Testament that that portion of that verse is recorded and quoted. Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then you flip over. The next time you see it in the New Testament is going to be Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Then you hit the third time it's used in the New Testament. And that's Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back his soul, if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So we see there four different times in the scripture we are instructed the just, or in other words, the righteous, those who are right with God, those people live by faith. Those are the people that are living by faith, those that are right with God, those that are just, those that have been made righteous by the blood of Christ. Those are the people that live by faith. Well, that's you and me. And when we're doing that, when we're living by faith, we're in active partnership with God. How are you going to do anything the Lord has you to do apart from faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us this, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For you must believe that He is, He is who He says He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Well, notice the first portion of Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please God. That means the faithless person cannot please God. And if you can't please God, how are you going to work with God? How are you going to partner with God? But if you're walking in faith, well, you're in the perfect position to walk, to live by faith, and to partner with God. Number four, fourth way to partner with God, soul winning. To be a witnesser, to witness, to literally tell people the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring them to a point of decision that they put their faith in Christ as Lord and confess Him Lord and receive salvation. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 says this, Then Jesus said to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful. Speaking of a spiritual harvest. Because in verse 35 and 36, we see Jesus went about preaching. He went about teaching, preaching, and healing. And verse 36, he said he saw multitudes of people. He was moved with compassion because they were like a massive herd of sheep but had no shepherd. So they're not protected. They're not led. They're not taken care of. The wolves are coming and destroying them, Satan. And verse 37, Jesus said, look, this harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. The workers are few. The people that are partnering with God <clears throat> are few. Okay, so what is Jesus' solution Jesus points out the problem. The harvest is huge, but the amount of workers we have to get the harvest is too small. Now, I, this is what I love about Jesus. He never shows you the problem without giving you the answer or the solution to the problem. In Re uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus, by the Spirit of, of the Lord speaking to John, Jesus is telling seven different churches, hey, this is what's wrong and this is how you fix it. Jesus never points something out just to make you feel bad. He never points something out wrong in your life just to beat you over the head with it. 
Oh, he's holy, and his eyes burn with fire, and he is pure, and he is righteous, and he will pinpoint sin and bring it to a a crippling conviction on your life until you get rid of that sin. And thank God that he does. But he doesn't just do it to condemn you. He does it to convict you. Conviction says, this is what's wrong. This is how you fix it. Con- condemnation is, mm, you're messed up. Out of here. You know, we're killing you. We're just kill you off. No, conviction gives you the opportunity to redeem yourself and make yourself right. And of course, I say redeem yourself, but rather repent. We've been redeemed by the blood. Verse 38 of Matthew 9, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now look at there. Well, God just does what he wants to do and it don't matter what we do. No, God's working with you. And God has, by God's desire, you can't read script, you can't read your Bible and get to a place where you say, I... I just don't, I honestly don't know how anyone can read their Bible and, and get to a point and say, well, if God wants it to happen, he'll just make it happen. That actually, you have to be ignorant of what Scripture says to actually believe that. When you read Scripture, time and time again, you see the Lord works with and through people. And for whatever reason, God has desired, I am going to limit myself in what I do in this earth and limit it to those that will have faith in me and yield and obey. Because that's the, that's the limit that, that God would have, that he would put on himself. I'm going to work in the earth, but it will be by people. And it will be by people who have faith in me. It will be by people who have surrendered their will to me and they'll obey my instruction. They'll obey the voice of, the, of my spirit. They will obey my word. And notice that, verse 38. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. Pray to him, send out laborers into his harvest. Why would you ask God to send more laborers into the harvest unless it requires faith and at the point of you asking in faith, God says, that's someone I can work with. And in this context, it's winning people to Christ. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, sheds even more light in this area of working with God in soul winning. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador is someone that stands on the behalf of their nation, their kingdom, and speaks on their behalf. They're not the ruler. They're not the king. They're not the president. But they're speaking on the behalf of the leader. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So notice that. We're actually standing here and we're speaking on the behalf of Christ. We're standing here as a representative of God. We are on the earth telling people of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as if it were Jesus himself telling you about it. Proverbs 11, verse 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And that word win literally means like take by force. It's the same. This is the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word there, win, has the same intent 
as the Greek word that we see in Matthew 11, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So in this context, he who wins souls is wise. It's like he who goes in a military campaign and forcefully advances and wins the battlefield. How do you win a battlefield in age-old warfare? They would win the field. How would you win the field? <clears throat> Through fighting. <laughs> Through defeating your foe. It's now your property. It's now your city. It's now your domain because you've ran out the opposition. Number five, the fifth way that you can partner with God is to build His church. You know, I hope you understand this, and this is something I'm getting more and more, more in my heart uh, because I want to have faith to, to be at the place that God can use me. But the single desire that God has right now is to build His church. Now, you might say, no, 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 no. That, God's desire is to win people to Christ. When you win people to Jesus, you're building the church. No, 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 no. Well, God has other desires. He wants to heal people. Yeah, He does. And what does that do but build His church? It establishes His will in the earth. It makes those that are weak strong. Well, God wants to, you know, help the poor and needy. Yep, He does. And how does He do it? through strengthening His church, His people, to do that work. See, everything that God wants done on the earth, He's going to do it through His church, through the body of Christ, which you and I are members of. And God's desire is to build His church on the earth. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail or be victorious against it. The single desire that God has is to build His church. Like, that's the huge goal. Because every other, what we might say, individual task or will the Lord wants done on the earth, all takes place when the church is being built. Because the church, and when I say build the church, I don't mean literally building brick and mortar stick buildings. Those, those are great and wonderful. I don't know if you can hear in the background, as I'm recording this wake-up call, there's thunder and lightning raining right now. I'm so thankful that I'm recording this inside. I'm thankful I have a house to record it in. Because if not, you wouldn't have this episode. Because if I tried to record it in the rain... One, if I don't have a house, how am I going to have power? If some way I had power but was still in the rain, all my equipment would be destroyed and ruined. Thank God I have a house. It's no different with a church building. Thank God I have a church building. When it's hot, I can be cool. When it's cold, I can be warm. When it's raining, I can be dry. It's just easier and I would say more efficient to gather a large group of believers in one singular location and have all the things that we have need of so that we can do the work of the Lord concerning discipleship and strengthening one another in faith. And that's what God desires is to build His church. Not just the building, but the people that fill the building, right? And so that's the difference there. We might hear the word church and we think of building, but God's building His church. He's building people. He's winning through you and I. He's winning the lost and making disciples. In fact, you and I are tasked with that, right? Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now again, not just the physical building the church, but when we gather, when we go to church, hey, well, you know, Sunday, oh, we go to church on Sunday, right? Wednesday night, oh, it's Bible study. We'll go to Wednesday night Bible study. When we're there, what are we doing? At least in my church, we're teaching, verse 20, them, you and I, to observe all things that God has commanded us. And in doing so, we're made into stronger and stronger disciples, followers of Christ. And that's God's desire. And when you become a member of a church, a faithful member of it, not, you know, being a member of a church doesn't get you into heaven. The blood of Christ gets you into heaven. Faith in the finished work of Jesus and Him as Lord, that gets you in heaven. But when you become part of a church, when you become part of a believing body of, of believers, of Christians, part of a family, a church family, then you are putting yourself in a place to be partnered with God to do work. Now, in, in these last two things, they could take place in the church, but they also could take place out of the church. Because you might think, okay, we're building the church, okay. But these last two that we're going to finish up with, we do these in the church, but we can also do them outside of the church. Number six, sixth way I see in Scripture that we can partner with God. We can partner with God through our giving. Through our giving. Now look, people get super, for whatever reason, Christians lots of times, not all Christians, some Christians get super weird when it comes to money. Don't know why. I have different reasons, different reasons why I think people get weird about money, but people just get weird about money. Don't let your heart be consumed by money or have a have a wrong desire concerning money. Money is simply like a tool. It's like a hammer. It's like a saw. You use it to accomplish things in life whether it be saving or investing, preparing for the future, buying a home, buying clothes, or just going and having fun, going to Disney World, buying ice cream. I mean, money's just a means to trade goods. That's all it is. But the reality is, the work of the Lord requires money. Now you might think, oh no, brother. We don't need any money to do the work of the Lord. Well, Jesus did. Jesus needed some money. Luke 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance, from their possessions. So right there we see these group of ladies who have all received healing and put their faith in Jesus, and, and they've been delivered from demonic powers, and they've been healed and set free. They made a decision, we're going to support Jesus with our substance, with our possessions. That's stuff. It's money. Because Jesus and the disciples, they had to eat food. <laughs> they had to stay somewhere. They, prob they needed clothes. 
for three and a half years of ministry, you're not going to wear the same shoes and clothes every single day. They needed stuff. It's just, it's just that it makes common sense, but, you know, sometimes the spirit of Judas gets in people and they get really out of sorts when it comes to money and the gospel. Notice this. Paul mentioned it as well. Philippians 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, speaking to the church in Philippi, that now at your last, at last your care, notice this, your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Okay, how did the Philippian church, how did they show their care? Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Okay, how did the Philippian church show care and share in Paul's distress? Verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now he begins to speak here that he's making a point of this, not seeking another gift, trying to butter him up, but rather I want you to know that what you did, verse 18, is a sweet-smelling aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then we get that powerful promise in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why is the need being supplied in Christ Jesus? Because first they gave and giving and sowing, sowing and reaping, whether it be with money in the kingdom of God, time, talent, or anything else, there's always a harvest for seeds that are sown. And one way, one of the many ways we've discussed today that you can partner with God is giving. Now, don't shake in your boots and get scared. I'm not taking up an offering. But I'm also not, I refuse to let you remain ignorant if you've yet to ever hear this truth because it is gospel truth. Any area of our life, we have a choice. Will we allow our money, our time, our talent, our desires, our will, anything? Are we going to allow and put ourselves in a place to partner with God or are we going to try to hold it back for ourselves? And sometimes people, I've seen it time and time again, unfortunately, this is a sticking issue for lots of folks. And it just doesn't have to be. Honestly, most time the people that are getting upset about this, it ain't like they're going to give away all the money in the world that they've got anyway. But they've got such a tight grip on what they have. They're fearful. They don't know. They don't have faith for it. I don't want that to be you. All right, last point. Seventh way. We've made it to the complete end of this list. And again, this could be something in your church that you do or outside of your church. Seventh way that we partner with God is by being a servant. Matthew 20, verse 27, Jesus said this, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to be a servant. And if you want to partner with God, you do it by serving. And when you serve people, when you serve the Lord, 
when you serve in church. You know, maybe you're working in preschool, children's church, teen group, praise team, hosting ministry. Drive the van. Pick up people. And again, it's not just in church, but whenever you're serving other people and you're honoring them and you're standing on God's behalf before them. And many times, look, many times, if you want to get into this realm of soul winning, and you should, you should desire to win many people to Jesus. Let me tell you something. So many opportunities to tell people about Jesus and lead them to Christ in salvation. So There are so many opportunities that present themselves when you're simply serving other people. When you begin to love and serve and care for people and put yourself in a position of yielding and giving of your time and abilities and talents to help other people, it will build a confidence level, a trust level with those folks. And when you speak, they listen. And you will get opportunities to tell them and, and preach, proclaim the good news of Christ to them in conversation and speak to them and lead them to Christ by way of serving. Hey, I'm so thankful for you. And I know this. I know your heart is to partner with God. It's mine as well. And I want, before we finish today on this episode on the Faith for My Generation podcast, I want to pray a prayer of consecration for you and I so that we truly would be in a place to partner and continually partner with God. Father, this is our prayer. This is our desire. As you have said, we are your fellow workers. And it's our desire to work with you to be faithful workers, to be obedient workers, to be fruitful, profitable workers for the upbuilding of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so thankful for you. I pray that you have a great rest of your week. Make sure you continue to join in on the Thursday podcast episodes as well. Lots of those are replays of live streams that I do. If you ever want to check out on the live streams, uh, make sure that you follow or subscribe on YouTube or Facebook, the Gospel Tabernacle channels. I always do those first there and then re-air them here on the podcast episode. I think they make for great teaching as well. And then, of course, if you're on TikTok, come find me, The AJ Bible on TikTok, on Instagram. Um, I stream the teachings on TikTok platform as well. always get a lot of fun response over there. But I'm thankful for you, and I pray that you have a great rest of your day, a great rest of your week. And I know this, you and I, we're going to be profitable partners with God. We're going to do our part to work with and for God because we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday, I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.